Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Today we're continuing in our series on Hosea as we look at Hosea chapter 3. This is God's amazing love. It's the theme for the book of Hosea. Today we look at Hosea chapter 3. It's one of the the more dramatic passage of Scripture in the Bible as we, as we know what's going on behind the scenes and we get to Hosea chapter 3. We're going to look at these words this morning on how to love as God loves. You follow along in your copy of God's Word, Hosea chapter 3. Hosea writes, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without, a king, without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord, their God, and David, their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last day. Three truths. To love as God loves, we are to see through the scars. To love as God loves, we are to see through the scars. We know the situation as we've been looking at Hosea the past three weeks. We know the situation that Hosea loved a woman by the name of Gomer. But Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea. They had three children, but only one of the children was Hosea's, the first child. The second two were not Hosea's. But yet Hosea loved Gomer. Gomer was unfaithful. She could not be trustworthy. And she lived her life as an adulteress in front of everyone and made a mockery of the marriage relationship, made a mockery of her commitment, of her dedication, and and the covenant that she had made with Hosea. By now you know that Gomer represents Israel and Hosea represents God. And she had made a mockery of everything that the marriage was supposed to represent. And so God comes to Hosea once again and he says, Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. Matter of fact, we see in the passage that she's even loved by another. She neither respects Hosea nor wants anything to do with him. So turn her back on him. And then God tells that command, go show your love to your wife again, even though she is an adulteress. He'd already been told to marry a prostitute in chapter 1. Go marry a prostitute. Now he said, now I want you to love her again. He's telling him to do something that most people would neither command nor encourage. He was asking her, asking him to become vulnerable. Hosea, I'm asking you to open your heart up to this woman again. Even though he's been hurt. Even though he's been betrayed. He said, I'm asking you to open your heart up to a person. Once again. When Gabby and I were forced out of a pastorate at a a previous church, and God asked us to go back into the pastorate, we we had to deal with this. Because we were hurt. We, we, we'd given our heart away to these people, had loved them, had, had prayed with them, had, had performed funerals with them, and, and had weeped with them, and, and, and been in the hospitals with them, and, and just loved these people. And then they asked me to, asked me to, 
to leave. And so when we were asked to go back into the pastorate, we had to deal with this. Do we want to make ourselves vulnerable again? Do we want to open our hearts up to people again? Even though we know they may hurt us, even though we know they may disappoint us, even though we know they may not love us. We had to make that decision. This is what Hosea was asked to do with Gomer. Now stop and think about the situation for a minute. What would you do? What would you do if God came to you and said, I want you to go back and love your adultering spouse again? How would you respond if God told you to do that? If it was your spouse, how would you respond? Uh, we might like to pat ourselves on the back. Oh, yes, I would do it in a heartbeat. Uh, don't be so boastful. We might not be able to do it. We might not be willing to do what Hosea was asked to do. And you also couldn't go back and, and Hosea couldn't go, well, God, that's easy for you to say. You know how we do that? Well, that's easy for you to say because you're not in my situation. It was not easy for God to tell Hosea to do it because he knew what Hosea was going through because God was experiencing with the people of Israel. It was the same thing that he was going through. So he wasn't asking Hosea to do anything that God hasn't already done. God knows exactly what Hosea must have been feeling. But God tells Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go love this woman again. And that's the same truth that he has for us. Listen, God loves us in spite of what we do and how we behave. God loves us even when we are unlovable and we are unloving. God loves us. God loves us when we are faithless. He is faithful. God loves us when we fail to believe. He still loves us. He loves us when we are undeserving of His love. In reality, God loves us and looks past our scars. He looks past the scars. There was a movie out several years ago. Mel Gibson played the lead. It was a movie called A Man Without a Faith. Perhaps you remember this movie. But in the movie, there was a young boy in the movie who wanted to go to military school. But he didn't have the grades. And to make matters worse, his older sister was a beauty queen, and his younger sister was kind of an intellectual, and so he never got treated well by his friends or by his families. They just kind of relegated him to second. He never got any recognition. And he wasn't an, a, an extremely uh, knowledgeable guy, uh, and so he was not going to be able to get into the military academy. He did not have the grades. In that same town where this young boy lived, there was a recluse of a man who years earlier had been caught in a fire and half his face had been burned. But this man was also an incredible teacher and a tutor. And so the, the young boy and this, this man, this recluse, got together to teach, and they found out that this man who had the burned face was also a very loving and a very caring individual. And this young boy and this recluse of a man uh, developed more than a relationship of teacher and student, but they became friends. And so the, the time came for the, for the little boy to take the test to get into the military academy. And the Mel Gibson who played the, the scarred man, he said, I'm going to give you a practice test before you take the real test. And if you pass this practice test, I'll let you fly on an airplane. And so the boy took the test and he made an 86 on the test. 
And so Mel Gibson takes him down to the local flight school, and they, they take him on the airplane. And on the way back from the airplane flight, the little boy is looking over at Mel Gibson, who's driving the truck, and he's looking at his scarred face. And the little boy says, you know, I don't even see your scars anymore. That's exactly what God does to us. When he looks at us, he no longer sees the scars. Why? Because he looks at us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he no longer sees the skin, the scars of sin and rebellion and disobedience. He just sees Jesus. He says, go and love this person again. God wants us to be able to see through the scars of other people. I don't know if you know this, not everybody out there is just like us. Did you know there's people out there that have scars of an abortion? And they need love. Did you know there's people out there that have the scars of a homosexual relationship? And what they don't need condemnation, what they need is love. They need love. There's people out there that, that have scars that come from a long, a long addiction to drugs or alcohol. They don't need condemnation. What they need is love. There's people out there that are coming from a divorce in their marriage, a divorce situation in their children. Their, their children aren't experiencing the love because their mom and dad are, are, are broke up. They're divorced. And they're living in a broken home. And they have that scar of a broken home hanging over them. Hanging, they have that scar of a divorce hanging over them. And they don't think they could ever be loved. They don't think they could ever be accepted. Or be even those individuals who suffer from low self-esteem. And they don't think anybody could ever care for them. Anybody ever loved them. God says we ought to look past those scars, look past those things, and love those people. That's what God tells us we ought to do. God's Word tells us, and it does not apologize, that we are to love the way God loved us. In the Gospels, you see it throughout the Gospel narratives that we are to be people of love. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says we are to love our enemies. We are to love our enemies. Matthew chapter 19, verse 19 says we are to love our neighbors. Luke chapter 6, verse 32 says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. John 13, verse 34, he says, we ought to love one another. John 15, verse 12, he says, we ought to love as Christ loved us. First John 3, verse 14, he says, we ought to love, and if we don't love, we are spiritually dead. I could go on, but I think you get the point. I think love's kind of mentioned in the Gospels. How did Jesus love you? How did God love you? God loved you so much that he gave his son for you, how dare we not willing, be willing to love others? We make a mockery of the love of God by failing to love the way He loved us. See, as believers, this is not an option, folks. This is not an optional part uh, of God's Word. We are to love as He loved us. We are to love and see through the scars. We must be willing to look past the scars and love people. Second truth, love as God loves we ought to pay the price. Pay the price. It wasn't enough for Hosea uh, to just love his wife and say how much he loved her. He had to demonstrate his love. He had to show his love. He couldn't stand on the street corner and say, I love Gomer. I love Gomer. That's not enough. 
He had to physically demonstrate his love for her. He had to demonstrate the depth of his love, and his love cost him. It may seem small to us, but it was great to him. The cost for Hosea was more than we began to fathom. We already said in verse 1, she's already loved by another, but we also believe that she's been bought into slavery probably because she's working as a temple prostitute. She's owned by another person. And so Hosea has to go and pay a price. It wasn't enough for him to go down to the slave market and say, I'm her husband, give her back to me. He said, that, that don't work. You know, in my term, the old dog don't hunt here. It doesn't work. That's not the way it's going to happen. Verse 2, it says in the passage, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. This is costly. Uh, normally, a slave would cost 30 shekels. He didn't even have 30 shekels to buy her back. You say, well, how much is a shekel? Well, uh, they say uh, in today's terminology, about, it's about four months' wages. So today it'd be, you know, depending on what you make, twelve to 15,000 uh, if you're in that category. That's what he had to pay to buy her back. This was not a, a small cost. This was a large cost. And Hosea was not a rich man. He couldn't come up with 30 shekels, so he had to do it in barley. He had to do it in grain and make up the cost. This was an expensive cost for a poor man. After all, he's a preacher. He's a prophet. They don't make any money, especially a prophet. They don't make any money. He had to really scrape and scrounge, probably dug into any kind of savings he might have had and paid the price. And the thing about it, Hosea was not obliged in any way to Gomer. He could have lived according to the Deuteronomic law, and he could have had her stoned, because that's what the law said he could do. Any woman caught in adultery, you have the right to stone her and put her to death. But instead of stoning her and living up the law, which was perfectly within his right, what did he do? He chose to buy her back. He chose to pay the price and bought her back. Even though he had been rejected, even though that, that she had, had turned him down, and he spent his accumulated possessions in exchange for one who had despised him. One who had destroyed the relationship that they had. Hosea's love, out, he, he, it outlived and outgave all reasonable human expectations. And by his action of buying her back from slavery, it probably did more to communicate the love of God than a hundred sermons that he would preach. This truth is revealed in a, in a book I read years ago. It was a novel by Alan Patton. And the novel was called, Ah, your, But Your Land is Beautiful. And in the, in the story, a person tells a story to another individual in it. And it tells a story of a man who was born blind. And he fell in love with a woman who had an extreme disfigurement on her face. Extreme disfigure. Nobody would look at her. Nobody would love her. But this blind man loved her. And one day, a visiting physician came to town and examined this young man's eyes. He goes, I think I can fix your problem. And he could, he could perform the surgery and he'd be able to see again. And he was ecstatic that he'd finally be able to see what he's never seen. But his wife was apprehensive. And she wasn't quite as excited as he was. And so he asked her, he says, why are you not excited about this surgery? She goes, 
I am. And he said, you've never lied to me before. Why are you lying to me now? And she told him about the disfigurement on her face. And this was his words. He said, I love you so much that I will stay blind. Your happiness means more to me than my sight. He laid aside her fears and paid the price to show his love for her. It cost him dearly. But he was willing to do whatever it took to show his love for her. For her. Hosea's love for Gomer cost him dearly. But he was willing to pay the price. He was willing to do whatever it took to show his love to her. The question we have to ask is what are we willing to do to show our love to others? It's not good enough to sit on the street corner and just shout, we love you. Goes right over their head. Won't do any good. Jesus said this, greater love has no man than this, that he laid out his life for his friends. Greater love has no man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. Now we could debate that. We could sit here and argue, well, exactly what is a friend and all that stuff. You missed the point. Uh, we'll, strain, we'll, we'll swallow camels and strain the gnats. Uh, you've missed the point. Jesus demonstrated his love for us in that while we were in our sins, he loved us. And we were not his friends. We were in rebellion. We were in opposition. We were in defiance. But nevertheless, he wanted you to know how much he loved you, so he died for you. He died for you so that you would know how much you love. Most of us, if not all of us, will never be asked to give our lives for someone. We're not, it's just not going to happen, especially here in America. It won't happen. But it might mean we have to give up some things. We have to give up some attitudes in order to demonstrate our love. When I was serving in Guatemala... Many of you know we work with the squatter villages. In Espanol, asentimientos. Conoce esta palabra? Asentimientos? No? no? Okay. They don't know what it is either. <laughs> it comes from the asentar, which means to squat. So it's the squatting ones is what it actually was. Asentimientos, anyway. Uh, these are people that live in squalor. You know, they had no electricity, no water, no sewer, no education, no med you know, nothing. Uh, dirt floors and... Um, so that's who we minister. They live down in the valley, in the, in the, in the, in the, the Barranco, the uh, ravine, while the other, other, everybody else lives on the top. And so we would go down in the ravine to minister to these people. And we weren't having a lot of headway. We, they, our, they, all of our helpers would show up in their white shirts with their ties and their nice Sunday shoes on. And we'd open up these hymnals, and, and they were singing words that I did not know, but... Uh, you know, I, I knew some of the tunes, and they were singing words. They were using language that was kind of King James language, if I can put it, I think it's a Reina Valera. Uh, and they were using this language. And then it dawned on us, these people can't read. Very few of them could read, and if they could read, they couldn't read that. And we were singing songs they didn't know. So all of a sudden, I said, okay, guys, okay, let's back off here for a moment. Let's look at this from a broader picture. I said, from now on, do not show up in your white shirts and your ties and your nice Sunday shoes. I want you to wear your T-shirts. You can even have Bud Light on it. I don't care. Show up in your T-shirts, wear your flip-flops, wear your tennis shoes. Let's get down on the level. Let's get on the level. 
and we started singing little choruses. You know, I know, 7-Eleven songs, all right? But remember, we're dealing with people that do not have the intellectual knowledge, the educational level. We began singing shorter songs, repetitious songs. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden what I saw, their face began to light up. And I heard them singing. They were the worst singers I've ever heard in my life, Brother Kip. Oh, they were terrible. But you know what? They sang joyfully. They sang joyfully. And I began to realize from that, hey, guys, it impacted me. It impacted me. And I began to realize that we loved these people. But we had to change the way we communicated that love. And we had to put it in their language where they could understand it. You see, we weren't willing to pay the price until we reevaluated ourselves. My question to you, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price to make sure that people that do not act like you, that do not look like you, that do not speak like you, that do not think like you has an opportunity to hear the gospel? Until you're willing to do that, we're not willing to pay the price. We can't love as God loved. Think about it this way. What did God do to communicate to you? He left the splendor of heaven. He left the glory of the very presence of God the Father. And he said, I am going to go and I'm going to dwell among sinful men. Why? Because I want to communicate to them I love them. I want to communicate to them I love them. And thank God he did. Amen? Thank God he did. And we have to keep constantly evaluating our lives. Are we willing to pay the price to demonstrate to people that we love them? Are we just going to sit in our churches and shout, we love you, we love you, we love you, and it goes on deaf ears? Third truth. The love as God loves requires patience. Hosea pays the price. Look at verse. He pays the price. He could have made certain demands of her. He could have forced her to love him. He could have forced her to do certain things. However, Hosea wanted Gomer to love him, and love requires patience. Love cannot be coerced. Look at verse 3. Then I told her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Hosea restores her to the previous relationship that he had. But he does not force himself upon her. Uh, he does not make her do anything. He provides for her needs. He gives her clothes. He gives her shelter. He gives her food. He gives her comfort. He gives her security. He protects her from those that, that, that might hurt her. In essence, he treats her as if she had never been gone before. Uh, she's restored to the marriage covenant. But he never expects anything in return, he's patient, and he waits, and he waits for her. His design was to have her recall how much he loved her, have her recall how he's demonstrated his love for her. And as she realizes the unbelievable love that was exhibited and the cost that Hosea paid to bring her back, her love and her affection for him would be real. Then she would understand 
what, what real love is all about, and not love that can be bought, love that can be purchased in, in such a way, or love that can be abused, but what it truly looks like. And her, then her love and her affection for him would be real. She would love him because he first loved her. Here's what I want you to grasp this morning. When we begin to demonstrate God's love to other people, listen, they may not respond the way we think they should respond. It might be rejected. It may not be reciprocal. It may not be received. So what's required? Patience. 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 We keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. We keep loving. We keep demonstrating it. We pay the price. We look through the scars. And then we are patient with them. People may not do what we expect. They may do things contrary to what is desired. Nevertheless, we ought to show patience. 1 Corinthians, in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the very first characteristic of love is patience. Love is patient. Love is patient. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus is patient with you? <laughs> I know I am. I want y'all to be a little bit more patient with me, okay? As I become more patient with you. I'm so glad Jesus is patient. He says, love is patient. And then toward the end, it says something amazing. It says something amazing. It says, love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, that one hurt. That one hurts. It's kind of like the, the man who is complaining about his wife, and he says, yes, man, sometime my wife and I get in a fight, she gets historical. He goes, don't you mean hysterical? No, historical. She brings up everything I ever did wrong. We laugh, but we do the same thing. Over and over and over. How many times are you supposed to forgive them? Seven times 70? In other words, infinity. That's not, an, that's not, the, Jesus not saying, okay, just keep count. And once you get to 490, you don't have to forgive them anymore. That's not the point of the lesson. He says, just forgive them. Forgive them as Christ, as, as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes the, uh, we just don't behave the way that we should. We bring up past wrongs. We hold things against people. Uh, we bargain with love. We say, uh, I'll love you as long as you love me back. Uh, I'll love you if you behave a certain way. Uh, I'll love you as long as you don't mess up, as long as you don't make any mistakes. We're pretty selective when we give out our love. Yeah, if they don't measure up to our standards, we just don't love them. You know how we know we don't love them? You don't want to hang with them. You don't want to associate with them. You want to be around them. Well, I'll just avoid them at all costs. That ain't love, folks. That ain't, that's selective love. Man, if God did that toward us, he wouldn't hang around any of us. Yet the testimony of Hosea reveals that love is patient with others. Even if they have wronged us, love is patient. God's love is the same way for you. And for me, he's patient. 
He's patient. What would God have you to do this morning? Do you love the way God loves you? Do you really? You see, I've said it from day one. Love is not a, it's an action verb. Love is something you do. Love is something you demonstrate. It's not something you talk about. Talk, 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 talk. We don't need any more politicians talking about love. I need, we need people demonstrating their love for us. In this, that while they are yet sinners, we will still love them. We will still love them. Perhaps for some of you this morning, you do not feel loved. You've been looking for love in all the wrong places, as the old song used to say. You've been looking for love in relationships, in money, in business, in a position, in education, in power, in popularity, and all those things have not satisfied you. Maybe it's time you come home to Jesus. Maybe it's time that you come home to a God who loves you with an unfailing love. And maybe for the first time in your life, you need to run into the arms of Jesus who loves you with an unfailing love, loves you with a pure love, a love that will never fail you, a love that will never let you down. Maybe you need to do that for others of you. Just, just be honest with yourself. You're having problems loving others. You're having problems. You talk about it, and that's okay. But you're really having a problem breaking out of a shell, breaking out of a mold, and really loving those who are not like you. They may not look like you. They may not act like you. may not smell like you. They may not dress like you. They may not behave like you. They may not believe like you. And you're having problems. God's word to you today is pray this prayer. God, break my heart for the things that break yours. God's heart breaks for sinners. Sinners who will not spend eternity with him. They're going to spend eternity somewhere, but it's not going to be with him. And it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. But he allows them to go. He allows them to go. So maybe you just say, God, touch my heart. Break my heart, God, for the things that break yours. Teach me, Father, to love like you love. For others of you, maybe you need a church home. A place where you can come and you can, uh, you can love and you can be loved. A place where you can be a part of a body of believers who can help you be all that you can be in Christ Jesus. A place where you can, you can minister and be ministered to. A place where you can encourage and be encouraged and be encouraged. We would love to have you be a part of this church. But if this is not what God wants you, hey, that is okay. That is okay. There's a lot of great churches in Waco. We can recommend them to you. But if God has brought you here, then we ask that you invest your life in what God is doing at Western Heights Baptist Church. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Kip's going to come and lead us.
give you an opportunity to respond. We won't belabor the point. I'm not going to drag it out. You know, if you sense God is speaking in your heart, I want you on the first note of that first chord to step out and say, Pastor, this is what God is telling me to do. Don't wait it out. He's either speaking to you or he's not speaking to you. Well, he is speaking to you. You just got to decide what you're going to do with it, okay? Uh, that's, that's the whole thing. Even if you decide not to respond, you're making a response. Uh, so whatever God is leading to do, we're going to invite you to. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer? Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity you've given to us, Father, to worship you, to give, Father, to, to hear about your love for us. Father, how you look past the scars, Father. You paid the price, and Father, you were patient with us. You're patient with us. Now, Father, help us to be willing to do the same, to look past the scars of others, to pay the price, Father, to reach them with love, to demonstrate our love. And Father, be patient until you're transformed, until they are transformed, Father, into your image. Speak to our hearts this morning. What's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.